First John chapter 4, verse 9. We're going to read that uh, this evening, and then we're going to pray that the Lord would help us uh, and just minister to our hearts tonight as we continue our series, uh, Love Came Down. First John chapter 4, verse 9. The Bible says this. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Praise God. Let's bow our heads tonight as we pray. Father, we're so grateful tonight. Father, for your mercy and for your grace, God. We thank you, Lord, for the love that you've shown us, God. Even, Lord God, when there are times that we may have forgotten about you, times that, Father, we weren't even thinking of you, Father. You thought of us. And Lord, you loved us so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for us, Father, and for that we're grateful. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts, God, that we would understand what it means to forgive, Father God, that you would just uh, prepare our lives and our spirits tonight for your precious word, God. Give us understanding. Holy Spirit, speak to us. And Father, I just lift up your, your children tonight in this place, my God, and those that are also tuning in online, bless them. Help us, Father God, to serve you as you've called us to serve you, Father. We thank you. We ask in Jesus' name, and we all say, amen. amen. Love came down. That's the series that we're, uh, we've been spending time on this month. And God uh, demonstrated his love for us. He's always demonstrated his love. You know, God has always shown his love towards us. He's, he's not just said it. It's not just something that he's, he's spoken in words, but he's, throughout the ages, God has always demonstrated his love. He's proven it time and time again. He's shown us time and time again. Because I believe that's how you really see what true love is. It's, it's one thing. Imagine if, you know, Valentine's Day came up and, and you just, you know, husbands, just, just for that special day, you told your wife, you know what, I love you, and that was it. You would be in trouble. We would be in trouble, wouldn't we? Right? Because you're able to demonstrate your love. You, we have to demonstrate it. And that's, that's what God's done since the beginning. He's, he, pre, he prepared, when you think about Adam and Eve, way in the beginning, he prepared the Garden of Eden. Heaven on earth, literally perfect, perfection. There was no death. There was no sickness. They, they, they didn't have to work. Everything was taken care of for them. God demonstrated his love. He would fellowship with them. He would spend time with them. They would spend time with him. God demonstrated his love to his children, the children of Israel, when they were in slavery. And they were praying to the Lord for hundreds and hundreds of years for deliverance. And God demonstrated his love to his children by, by sending Moses to go and rescue through the power of God to rescue his, his children from the, from the hand of Pharaoh. God has always demonstrated his love. So we look in the Old Testament, so many prophecies about the, the beautiful coming of Christ, about uh, what we celebrate this month, the, the, the birth of Jesus. So many promises, God promising, giving prophetic words of, about the coming of Jesus to be that sacrifice for you and I. God has always demonstrated his love. He's shown it. And this month, we understand that love came down to earth to bring redemption and salvation. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we can enjoy God's presence because of the price that Jesus paid for us and God, that God loved us so much that he gave his son. And if we're to be imitators of Christ, we must show God's love to others. How many know that's true tonight? It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to demonstrate it. And one of the powerful ways we demonstrate the love of God in our lives, there are many ways, 
But what we're going to focus on tonight is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Love brought forgiveness. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, it, it teaches us that we have a new life in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. God has given us a new life where one time we were enemies of God. One time we were living our lives according to our own will, our own ambition, our own selfish and sinful ambition, our own desires, and we see where it got us. Got us into trouble. It got us into dangerous situations, to, into to, to, uh, situations that affected our health. Uh, some, some were incarcerated for a span of time. Why? Because of selfish ambitions and chasing those things that will ultimately hurt us. But we have a new life in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you didn't get one gift, one physical gift this Christmas, I'll tell you what, if you have Jesus, you have enough. Thank you, Jesus. You have a new life in Christ. You have newness in Christ. Now, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the Bible says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It lives in you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. This is good news. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, listen to this. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That's revelation for someone in this place tonight. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you, through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. There's so much in that passage. We could spend all night on that passage, but something that jumped out to me as we read that scripture is in verse number 12 where it says, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. The good news tonight for us, brother and sister, is that you don't have to be a slave anymore to those sinful desires. When those sinful desires try to spring up in your life, if you have Jesus Christ, you are not obligated to do those things anymore. Where at one time in the past, before Christ, you were a slave to those sinful desires. You had no power to resist them. And you see, we see where that got us in our lives, don't we? But now that we have Christ in our life, the Bible says that we are not obligated any longer to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. So you might ask, why? Well, why do I still struggle? Why do I still you know, get involved in this thing or that thing or this situation. Why do I still get tripped up? And I believe many times it's because we have not allowed the Holy Spirit to change our thinking. We have not taken on, you know, the, the Word of God and to allow to, to affect our thinking. See, spiritually, we're reborn and re, we're renewed, but if you don't let your mind be renewed, you're going to continue to trip up over the same things over and over those same habits that 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 you feel have a grip on you. If you don't let the Word of God change you, if you don't seek God in His Word then I believe we are doing those things over and over again. But spiritually, through the power of God, you're not obligated to serve those sins anymore. 
You may feel that, that once a drug addict, always a drug, drug addict. That's all that you've known. But according to the, to the gospel, to the word of God, you're not obligated to live your life after those foolish things anymore. You're not obligated to live your life to that, according to that lifestyle anymore. Why? Because the Bible says it. That's why it's important to come to the house of God. Come to church. Come to Bible study. Come to these, uh, the events that, that are going on here. Be, be a, a vessel for Christ so that your life can minister to others. Start beginning to, to serve. And see what happens is you allow change to take place in your life and you're no longer dragged by these things. Why? Because you're involving yourself in the things of God. It's a process. We're saved. The moment we believe in Christ, we confess him, we're saved. Spiritually, you're reborn. But how many know it's a process for us to change our lives, right? To get into good habits. Matthew Henry said this, and as we talk about this verse, verse number 12, that we're not obligated to sin anymore. He says, we, we owe no suit nor service to our carnal desires. We are indeed bound to clothe and feed and take care of this body, this flesh, as a servant to the soul in the service of God, but no further. We are not debtors to this flesh. This flesh never did us so much kindness for us to oblige or serve it. This flesh never got you anywhere good, right? Our sinful desires, where does it take us, man? It takes us, it takes us back. It takes us into the pit. It takes us into, into the mire and the muck, into the things that hurt our lives. So you don't owe anything to your flesh, your fleshly desires. It is implied that we are debtors to Christ and to the Spirit. It is He who we owe everything to. And all we have and all that we can do by a thousand bonds and obligations being delivered from so great a death and so great a ransom, we are deeply indebted to our deliverer. We are indebted to Christ for what he did for us. We should daily, each and every day, look at our lives and ask ourselves, what can I do to serve you, God, today? God, what can I do to sacrifice greater than I did yesterday, Lord? Who can I help? Who can I share the good news with, Lord? What can I do for you? See, that's the obligation. That's the debt that we have. He paid the price already but not our sinful desires. It's gonna hurt you. It's gonna kill you if we go after it. See, he's given us a new life, and we're, we're building and we're taking ourselves somewhere as we're gonna talk about forgiveness tonight. See, Christ gave us this new life. Why? Because of his sacrifice. Now, as we look back in the Old Testament, you may ask, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to shed his blood for me? Couldn't God just have snapped his fingers and, and everything would have been forgiven? As soon as we look back in the Old Testament, the Bible says something powerful here. It says, for the life, uh, Levit Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So as we look way back in the Old Testament, without the shedding of blood, According to the law, there's no, there's no forgiveness. There's no purification. See, Jesus didn't come to change the law. He came to fulfill the law. And when he died for you and I on the cross, he fulfilled that price. And he paid that price for us so that you and I today, we could worship in, with peace of mind. We could worship in the presence of God in righteousness and purity, not because of your righteousness or my righteousness, but because of Jesus' righteousness. He's given us a new life. We have forgiveness tonight because of the blood of Jesus. 
And if you're in this place and you don't have God's forgiveness, you haven't asked for it, well, there's good news tonight. You can have a chance this evening to accept his forgiveness. Has anyone ever taken your place for something? Maybe in a situation in your life where something was coming down on you and someone, someone stopped a bullet for you? They took a punch for you? You know, they took the hit for you? There's a, there's a here on, uh, as we come into this, this coming April, this April uh, will be the 111th anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic, April 15th, actually. And I want to share a little uh, example here about someone taking your place, someone, someone else's place. Now, we've heard of the Titanic, the tragedy that took place in the year of 1912, and the Titanic's maiden voyage on April 15, 1912, it set sail from Southampton, England, en route across the Atlantic to New York City. There were many people aboard that evening, and one of the, the folks that were on board was a pastor, and his name was John Harper. I have a picture of him up here. And I want you to listen to this powerful story. We talk about someone taking your place. The story goes on to say, and this is a true story, when pastor and preacher John Harper and six-year-old daughter, okay, him and his six-year-old daughter boarded the Titanic, it was for the privilege of preaching at one of the greatest churches in America, the Moody Church in Chicago, named for its famous founder, Dwight L. Moody, or some call D.L. Moody. The church was anxiously awaiting his arrival, not only because of the pending services, but to meet their next pastor. As Harper planned to accept their invitation, Harper was known as an engaging preacher and had pastored two churches in Glasgow and London. His preaching style was suited for an evangelist as testified by the words of another local pastor. Here's what he said about this, this pastor, John Harper. He said he was a great open-air preacher and could always command large and appreciative audiences, this pastor, John Harper. He could deal with all kinds of interrupters. His great and intelligent grasp of biblical truths enabling him to successfully combat all assailants. So this was a pastor of pastors, a pastor that loved the word of God. That was an evangelist, but he was on the Titanic. When the Titanic hit the iceberg, listen to this, Harper successfully led his daughter to a lifeboat. His six-year-old daughter, mind you, imagine that. He was a widower. It was just him and his six-year-old daughter. So what's a man to do? You would think the man would stay with his daughter and just, just stay there and, and save his life. Being a widower, a, a widower, he may have been allowed to join her, but instead forsook his own rescue, choosing to provide the masses with one more chance to know Christ. Harper ran person to person, passionately telling others about Christ. As the water began to submerge this unsinkable ship, Harper was heard shouting, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Rebuffed by a certain man at the offer of salvation, Harper gave him his own life vest, saying, you need this more than I do. Up until the last moment on the ship, Harper pleaded with people to give their lives to Jesus. The ship disappeared beneath the deep, frigid waters, leaving hundreds floundering in its wake with no realistic chance for rescue. Pastor Harper struggled through the hypothermia to swim to as many people as he could, still sharing the gospel in the, in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. 
Harper evidently would lose his battle with hypothermia, but not before giving many people one last glorious gospel witness. Four years after, listen to this, four years after this tragedy, one of the Titanic survivor me uh, meetings took place in Ontario, Canada, and one survivor recounted this, recounted his interaction with Pastor Harper in the middle of the, the icy waters of the Atlantic. He testified that he was cling, clinging to ship debris when Pastor Harper swam up to him, twice challenging him with a biblical invitation to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This individual, this survivor, rejected the offer one time. Yet given the second chance and with miles of water beneath his feet, the man gave his life to Christ. Then, as Pastor Harper succumbed to his watery grave, this new believer was rescued by a returning lifeboat. As he concluded his remarks at the Ontario meeting of survivors, he simply stated, I am the last convert of John Harper. Wow. Amazing. This pastor, who had everything to live for, who was faithfully doing the work of God, and, and the greatest work, I believe, being a father to a six-year-old daughter, what a sacrifice. He took the place of this individual. He gave up his own life vest. And he counted his life as nothing so that many others could hear and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord, their Lord and Savior. See, we're given a new life, church, but it didn't come at a free price. It was because of a sacrifice. We have a new life. What are we doing with that new life? What are you doing with the new life that God's given you? What are you doing this Christmas season with that new life? And I'll tell you, it's a busy season. Goodness. I don't know, if you had a week like I had, it's been a crazy week, and it's only Wednesday, right? <laughs> but we got good things to look forward to. But what, what am I doing with my life? I have to ask myself. You have to ask yourself, what are you doing with this life? Because we only have one life, and God paid such a dear price for your life. It's not meant for us to just spend it foolishly, recklessly, indulging in sin. No, it was for a great sacrifice that you're here tonight. What are you doing with your life? Let God use your life because we're debtors to him, not to our sinful life, but to him. So we're given a new life. Secondly, we're free from condemnation. We're going to talk about forgiveness tonight, but, but, but we're on a path here as, as we get to, to, to forgiveness. We're free from condemnation. Now, the Bible says in Romans 8, 1, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. If you're in Christ, the Bible says that there's no condemnation. It is the unspeakable privilege and comfort for all of those that are in Christ Jesus that there is therefore now no condemnation to them. Now, he does not say, as this commentator says, that there is no accusation against them because we've all been accused, right? For this there is accusation, but the accusation is thrown out and the indictment is squashed in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible does not say that there is nothing in them that deserves condemnation. It's not saying that because, yes, there's sin that deserves condemnation, for indeed there is, and they see it and own it, and we mourn over it and condemn ourselves for it, but it will not be our ruin as a believer. We may be chastened of the Lord, but not condemned with the world. 
Now this arises from their being in Christ Jesus. By virtue of their union with him through faith, they are thus secured. They are in Christ Jesus as in their city of refuge and so are protected from the avenger of blood. Because of Christ, because of what Christ did for you and I, there is no condemnation. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, that you never made mistakes, but spiritually, because you have Christ in your life and you mourn over your sin and you go to Christ and ask for forgiveness, there is now therefore no condemnation for you and I. What a beautiful story, church. What a beautiful message to this world, church. Thank you, Jesus. There is no condemnation. Man, that enough is to put wind in our sails, to allow you to get up in the morning and to face your day and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I thank God I'm not where I used to be. I'm, in, I'm a work in process. Uh, God's, God's working in my life. I am, I, I, I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Why? Because there's no condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. Now, what's the definition of condemnation? Officially declared to be unfit for use. So the question is, have you ever felt condemned? Have you ever felt not good enough? Like this home. You say, that looks like my home. No, your home looks much, much better. When something is condemned, it's officially declared that it's unfit for use. And the devil would love for us to take that persona over our lives, to take that that rule over our lives, that we're condemned, that I messed up one too many times, that my life is boarded up, that, that it's not able to be inhabited anymore, not even by the Holy Spirit. See, that's what the enemy would tell us. Just like this home that it's been condemned, that it's unfit for use, that it's unsafe, that people will just pass by it, look at it, and just maybe remember what it once was, but will no longer appreciate what it is as a vessel, as a home. See, the devil would try to convince you and I, because of your sin, because of your mistakes, that you're done, that you're condemned, and there is no more use for you. That's what the enemy would try to tell you and I. And see, if we don't know God's word, if we don't seek him at his word, if we don't seek God, we'll begin to believe that. But I declare to you tonight that it's a lie, that you're not condemned. You may have made a mistake. You may, have, you may be experiencing repercussions of that mistake tonight. You may be uh, dealing with some consequences, physical consequences in your life tonight because of, of those bad decisions that you made. But I'll tell you what, we all make bad decisions. We've all have regrets in our life. We've all done things that, that we're ashamed over, that we regret. The, but the Bible says that there is now therefore no condemnation. So believer, brother and sister in Christ, you need to take up that truth in your life and you need to go forward. You need to forget about the past. Put it behind you and look forward to Christ and what he has for you. You are not condemned tonight. There's hope. There's hope. As long as there's breath in your lungs tonight, brother or sister, there's hope for you. God has a plan and a purpose. See, that condemnation, that's what sin brings, and that's what the enemy will cap- try to capitalize on. The Bible says in Revelations 12:10, then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. That's what the Bible calls the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. The enemy will try to throw fiery darts to, to make you think that you're condemned. 
The enemy may use other people to try to condemn you and speak into your life negative things. But you're redeemed tonight in Christ Jesus. So the Bible, thank you, Jesus gives us conviction. The conviction is the Spirit's first work in convicting the world. And it leads individuals to think upon their sin and to change their ways. That spirit must come from God under the tutelage of the spirit. See, we're convicted, but we're not condemned. When we're convicted, church, we're made guilty. We're made to feel guilty of our sin, but with the hope that we could change, and that's done through the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That's good news. John chapter 8, verse 111. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire passage, but this passage here is a beautiful story about the, adult, the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. And according to the law, she should have been stoned to death. She should have been killed. And those that were trying to test Jesus were always trying to trip up Jesus. They brought this woman. They physically brought her to him and said, Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What do you think we should do? Now the law says to stone her in verse 5. What do you say? See, they're trying to test Jesus. They're trying to trap him. In verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Jesus could have affirmed their requests according to the law, and he would have been just to do it. But God was working righteousness. In verse 8, then he stooped down again, he wrote in the dust. In verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now listen to this. You think that Jesus would, would, would just come down on her, get on her case, make her feel bad, make her feel guilty for what she did. But what did graceful Jesus do? Truthful Jesus, almighty, all-powerful God who is righteous and pure. It says in verse 10, that Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Beautiful story. See, we're talking about forgiveness tonight, and here we get a perfect picture of someone who through sin offended God because of their sin. They offended God. When we sin, it offends God because he gives us his word and truth. But what is Jesus' response here? Where are your condemners? He said, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And in all of this, believer, we're building up to the fact that you and I, we're free to forgive. We must forgive. We must let forgiveness be a practice in our lives just as it is a practice in God's life each and every day, isn't it? Man, we make, we, we make God continually practice that, forgiving him, and he, and he does. As we're truthful with him, he forgives us. And the same way that God does it for you and I each and every day, how much more should we forgive others? So I'll tell you what, there's not one of us in this place today that has walked in here scot-free and blameless. You may have said something you, should have, you shouldn't have. You may have thought something you shouldn't have. You may have offended someone. You may have done something that God did not want you to do, but here you are in God's perfect presence, enjoying worship. Thank you, God, for what he's done in your life. Here we are. Here we are in God's presence. Thank you, Jesus. And why? Because God has forgiven us. How much more should we forgive those who've offended us, who've hurt us, 
said something bad about us. And now with social media, oh, forget it, right? Oh, they unfriended me, so man, they're on my hit list. They said something about me, or they didn't like my picture. Oh, watch out. That's it. You were offended. You found out that they were gossiping about you. Forgive. This Christmas season, forgive. Today's Wednesday, forgive. Tomorrow's Thursday, forgive. Let forgiveness be something that we allow to work in our lives. Let it be an activity and an action that we constantly allow work to work in our life because if we don't, then it harms us. Now the Bible says in Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Man, there it is right there, plain as day. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. He doesn't say you can consider it, you can think about it, you can pray about it. He says you must. We must forgive others. God's doing a work in our life. He wants our hearts to remain clean. He wants to be able to flow through our lives, through our spirits. He wants to fill us up. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless us with relationships. He wants to bless us with influence. He wants to bless us with new things, new levels, new plateaus in our life. I believe that God wants to take us to the next level. But church, if, if we can't get past this area of forgiveness, I believe that it stops us in our tracks. I believe that we have a difficult time forgiving because... For whatever reason, we lost sight and understanding that God did indeed forgive us. The whole first part of this message, we, we hear about God's goodness and grace, about a new life in Christ, about the beauty of, of, Garden of the Garden of Eden, how he loved his people and he demonstrated his love. And, and we talked about so many things and looked at scriptures and it's all leading up to this, that because God is so great, he forgave us, we must forgive others. <clears throat> One man said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. See, we're never more like Christ. Thank you, Jesus. We're never more Christ-like than when we forgive. So tonight, what have you been dealing with? What have you been carrying? What offense have you been struggling with? And, and I don't say this lightly. I understand there are things that hurt, man. We're hurt, we're cut. We're backstabbed, we're talked about, you know, we, we, we deal with all these things, things that, that we don't deserve. But we're never more Christ-like than when we forgive. Jesus didn't deserve what he got. He didn't deserve to be an outcast, crucified at the, outs, uh, the outer limits of the city, the city that he created, but he was cast out and he was crucified for us, so we should be able to forgive. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the hill that has crushed it. We have to forgive. I read a story here about, uh, it's called The Understanding Widower. It was a story about um, an individual that had to forgive in his life. And it says this, after a long shift at the fire department, Matt Swatzel fell asleep while driving. And he crashed into another vehicle taking the life of a pregnant mother, June Fitzgerald, and injuring her 19-month-old daughter. What a tragedy. According to this article, Fitzgerald's husband, 
a full-time pastor, he asked, the man's, he asked for the man's diminished sentence and began, began meeting with Swatso for coffee and conversation. Many years later, the two men re- remained close, and here's what he said. He says, you forgive as you've been forgiven. Here was this man who experienced an unspeakable tragedy in his life, losing his wife and having his 19-month-old daughter injured because someone fell asleep at the wheel. He could have harbored uh, bitterness. He could have let it set him back. He could have stopped in his tracks in life. And I believe if he did, no one could judge him for that because that's enough to break a person right there. But he decided to forgive in his life. And through this short excerpt, this short story, this short just, just little paragraph, it gives us the sound of a man who has, who has let forgiveness work in his life. And why? Because he says you forgive as you have been forgiven. In my life, I've seen the power of forgiveness work, and I am a work in progress, and I don't stand up here saying that it's always easy to forgive, but from many years back, being hurt, uh, seeing things in my life, experiencing things in my life that have hurt me, that if I would have allowed, it would have set me back, it would have uh, stopped me in my tracks, but I made a decision with friends, with family, to forgive and it's resulted in a better life for my life. And I know you could attest to that as well. Thank you, Jesus. We have to forgive. See, because love came down, we can forgive, church. Forgiveness also leads to better health. According to Hopkins Medicine, the good news is that studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health, lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels, and sleep. Amen. You're like, give me some of that. And reducing pain, blood pressure, and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. In all ways, in all areas, forgiveness is beneficial to you and I, believer, brother and sister. No one said it's easy. No one said it's easy to do, but it's a decision that we must make. And I say that it is a decision. It's not a feeling. You're not going to feel like forgiving. So just, just let's get that right out there. You're not going to feel like forgiving, okay? You're not going to ever, it's not going to be convenient. You're not going to feel like it's, man, it's, I feel like forgiving. No, it's a decision that you make because of your obedience to Christ. And what you understand with the word of God, you can, you can forgive, Tonight, as a worship team makes their way up, you know, we could learn so much from the heart of a child and the life of a child. And just the other day, I was uh, driving with my two youngest kids, and my son did something to my daughter, and it made her cry. And, and he, you know, he was, he was in the wrong, and he did something to her, and, and she was there crying, and I was driving. And, and, you know, what can you do when you're driving, right? So there I go. I'm, I'm starting to tell him. I'm getting on his case. You don't do that to your sister. And she's there crying. And, and you know, he did this to me, and he did this, and he's just sitting there quiet. And I was getting on his case. And we know how it goes. Oh, you wait till I get home. You, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. You're going to get it when you get home and you get home. And I was going on with that. And, and my youngest daughter, the one who he hurt, she started to, to back him up. No, dad, don't do that. No, daddy, no, daddy, don't. You, don't. you don't do that to him. Don't discipline him, daddy. Don't do that. And she was, she was, she was getting in front of, of, of it for him. She was, I was like, well, he hurts you. Like, I'm, I'm going to get a, no, daddy, don't do that. Don't hurt, don't do that. See, she was standing in the gap, the heart of a child. She was hurt. She was crying. But she didn't want to see her brother disciplined. 
She didn't want to see her brother catch the wrath of daddy. Why? Because children's hearts are pure, right? And love, like that they could forgive. They could forget about it and they go on. What lessons we can learn from children, believer. So this season, we thank God for the wonderful gift of salvation. We thank God for the new life that we have in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. We thank God for the truth that there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And with all of this, what does it do for us, believer? It empowers us to forgive. Why? Because Christ forgave you and he forgave me. And as I close tonight, Ephesians 4.32, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And tonight, that's how we can close this message. Everything led up to this, that you and I now have the power, the ability, the reason to forgive because of all that God's done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Tonight, with every head bowed, every eye closed,